Thanks for tuning in to Mountain View Fellowship's weekly podcast with lead pastor Don Headley. At MVF, our mandate is pointing people to Jesus by fostering relationships. We know Jesus cared for people and placed a lot of emphasis on relationships. So we do too. We believe that we're created for relationship with God and that he gave each one of us a desire to belong. If you'd like more information about MVF, connect with us at mvfcolorado.com. Now, stay tuned for this week's message. We're in the third week of a series we've entitled A Very Merry Christmas at MVF. And so I want to encourage you, grab the Word of God, head over to Matthew chapter 2 with us this morning. We're actually covering the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2, so head over there. If you have your device, you can open it up, go to the MVF Colorado app, open that, hit the engage button, and under that, uh, the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter 2 is already sitting there ready for you, as well as message notes. So hopefully those are tools you can use to dive deeper into this, uh, this message today as well. We're so thrilled that you're here, guys. Uh, today, I want to start just by telling you, I heard a story here just recently of a, a lady who had never cooked a Thanksgiving turkey before, never done it, always feared her death, and finally she decided this was going to be the year. And so she made an announcement to her family. She said, look, I'm going to put the work in, I'm going to do it, I'm going to make it, but here's what I'm asking for you to do. When I bring the turkey out, if it's not to your liking, if it's not what you expect, I don't want you to say a word because I put too much work into this and it'll just crush me. So here's what I want you to do. Without a comment, I want you just to get up, go to the door, put on your coat, your gloves, your hat, and we'll go to the closest restaurant and we'll eat. And she said, is that a deal? And everyone just kind of shook their head. And so she goes back into the kitchen. She gets the turkey. And before she could ever make it back out to the dining room table, uh, she walks into the dining room, she looks up, and her husband and her son are already at the front door with their hat and their coats and their gloves, right? So uh, why is that? Because our expectations control our conduct. Uh, our expectations definitely control our conduct. We conduct our lives and our daily affairs based on what we expect of them. And a classic example of that, uh, for any of you that have kids, you know this, uh, try keeping your kid in bed longer than 6 a.m. on Christmas morning, Right? I mean, we, we had two sons, and we raised these two crazy guys, and, and growing up, we had to threaten them like with their lives to keep them in bed, and we said things like, if this door opens before the sun comes up, right? Because if we didn't, they would be in our bed at 2 a.m. after I just put the bicycle together and just hit the, you know, hit the pillow, and they'd be like, get up, Santa Claus was here, we got to open our presents, and so we would just like, just go nuts trying to keep them in bed on Christmas morning, but get this, the same two kids... Just a few weeks later after the New Year's on that first day back to school, yeah, you know where I'm going, right? You can't even get them out of bed to get them to school. Why? Because our expectations control our conduct. It's crazy to me. It's, it's definitely influenced by our expectations and, and what we expect out of things. Uh, we decide how to respond to them. In Matthew chapter 2, we read this story about the wise men following a star, and uh, they they. They know the prophecy. They've read about it for years. It's been passed down to them. They see the star. They're excited because they know that this, this represents a king is being born. And so they follow this star. And I think, I'm going to make the argument today, that they arrived at a place that they were not expecting. And so the question that we're going to ask today is actually a question that um, John Maxwell wrote in a book several years ago. And it's this question. What happens when you've been following a star and it leads you to a stable? 
What happens and all of a sudden when, when you've been thinking something was going to be glorious, it was going to be just grand and awesome, and you get to the other end of it and you end up in a barnyard or you end up at a stable. Instead of a palace and a, and a king sitting on a throne, you find a little child being held by his mother. It's nothing like what you expected. How do you respond? How do you react to following a star and finding a stable? And the reason I ask that is because your conduct is affected by, by your expectations. Now, let me just stop for a minute. I want to acknowledge something because there is something wrong with this question. Uh, if, if we can talk biblical literacy just for a minute, okay, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I want you to know that obviously the wise men didn't arrive at the stable. <gasps> Shock, right? And it's shocked because we all know that when we go home, our traditional nativity set has a little stable and it has Mary and Joseph and the baby, right? And it's got the shepherds with some sheep and, and uh, then maybe there's a little angel that's sitting on the roof because I'm sure that's where she was at. And then, of course, uh, off to the right or the left, we have three wise men and their camels, right? And this is our traditional nativity set. And, but it's, it's not the way it happened. And you're going to see that in the text today. But well, why do we have those nativity sets then? Well, because it's all part of the Christmas story and it's okay. We just tie it all together in one little scene. And the fact that we have three wise men, we're not even told how many wise men there were. There could have been hundreds, but we say three because of the gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And so we just assume that there's three wise men there. Uh, the other thing that we see as is we look at our nativity set is that they're standing outside of a table. And actually, the great movie, the nativity story, and I love this movie, but even in that movie, they show the wise men arriving almost as Jesus is being born. And that's not what we see in the text. And again, you're going to see all this. I hope that, that our biblical literacy will rise today and we'll see all of this and we'll have a better understanding of what the, the Christmas story looks like because we know that, that it was probably at least a year later. How do we know that? Because again, in our text, you're going to see it, Herod is going to ask the wise men, well, what time did the star arrive? And they're going to tell him. Now, we're not told exactly what time frame they give him, but we assume it's about a year because what he does after that, if you continue to read the text after where we finish off today, you go home and you read the rest of it, what you're going to find is that Herod, based upon that time frame that the wise men gave him, will send soldiers into Bethlehem and they'll kill every young boy from two years and younger. They'll wipe him out. And Herod is crazy. Like, he's obsessive. He is not going to let anything threaten his throne. And so you know that whatever time frame that the wise men gave him, he tacked on a little bit more just to make sure that he wouldn't miss this new young king because he wasn't going to take a threat to his throne. And so all of these things are happening in the text today as well as literally in the text, you'll see it, the wise men, it will say that they arrive at a house, not a stable. And so let's acknowledge right off the bat that this isn't an exact accurate statement, but here's what we're going to do. We're going to accept it because what we're trying to do today is we're trying to teach some biblical principles and how they apply to our lives, especially around this Christmas season. And so the question that we're going to ask today is, what happens when you've been following a star and it leads you to a stable? So with all that in mind, let's jump into the text today and we'll see what we can learn out of it, all right? Matthew chapter 2, starting in verse 1, it says, Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod. About that time, some wise men from eastern lands arrived in Jerusalem asking, where is the newborn king of the Jews? We saw his star as it rose, and we have come to worship him. I love this. King Herod was deeply disturbed when he heard this, as was everyone in Jerusalem. Yeah, right? Because he wants to hang on to his throne. 
He called a meeting of the leading priests and teachers of religious law and asked, where is the Messiah supposed to be born? In Bethlehem in Judea, they said, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the ruling cities of Judah, for a ruler will come from you who will be the shepherd for my people, Israel. Then Herod called for a private meeting with the wise men, and he learned from them the time when the the star first appeared. Then he told them, go to Bethlehem and search carefully for the child, and when you find him, come back and tell me so that I can go and worship him too. How many are buying that, right? After this interview, the wise men went their way, and the star they had seen in the east guided them to Bethlehem. It went ahead of them and stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were filled with joy. They entered the house and saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshiped him. Then they opened their treasure chests and gave him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. When it was time to leave, they returned to their own country by another route, for God had warned them in a dream not to return to Herod. So let me ask you again, how do you react when you follow a star only to find a stable? Uh, How does your conduct um, change when things don't live up to your expectation? How do you react to that? When things don't turn out uh, the way that you wanted them to or the way you expected, how does that affect you? And how do you respond back to that type of situation? Because as we look at the, the story of the wise men, I have to tell you, I think maybe they were a little shocked, maybe, dare I say, disappointed when they came and found this new king in a, in a little house. They even stopped at King Herod's palace, right? Because I'm imagining this. If I'm a wise man and I've been studying the prophecy for so long and I know for hundreds and hundreds of years they prophesied of a new king would be born and a star was going to mark his birth and we finally have that revealed to us and we start to travel and we travel a great distance. And where do we go? We, well... It's a king. He's going to be born. So why don't we go to King Herod's palace? Why don't we go to where kings live? Why don't we go to where kings are born? And when they get to the palace, they find out, eh, that's not where it's at. You have to go like way out in the country, out in the middle of nowhere to this place called Strasbourg, not Strasbourg, uh, Bethlehem, right? That's kind of what what we're dealing with here this morning. Um, Way out in the middle of nowhere. And that's where they find this little boy, not on a throne, not in a palace, but in a house, in his mom's arms. They, I wonder if they were disappointed by what they found because this is not exactly what they had expected. Now, I think every one of us can relate to that because we've all had times, we've all had situations in our lives when we followed a star and everything looked so good. It looked promising and we got to the end of it and we found ourselves standing in front of a stable. Uh, maybe uh, you had big plans when you were growing up. Everyone was looking at you going, hey, this person's going to change the world. They're going to leave a mark on the world. And now years later, you look back on your childhood pictures and they only bring um, deep regret and disappointment. What happened? You, you followed a star and you found a stable. Maybe you graduated top of your class, valedictorian, or, or you tucked that diploma under your arm and you marched out ready to conquer the world. And, and you went out and the job that you ended up with was not the job that you thought you were going to get. You followed a star and you ended up with a stable. Uh, I can't even tell you the number of times I've stood up in front of a couple who are looking longingly into each other's eyes. They're just in love and, and they're making lifelong vows and everyone, the family and friends, they all have so much hope for this wedding and, and this marriage only to find out a couple of years later that it's lying in ruins on the floor of a divorce court. 
followed a star and they found a stable. Maybe you had a business idea. You were excited about uh, starting a new business and you saved up some money and the day came and you went to the bank and you leveraged a loan and you opened up the doors and, and a couple of years later, you're, you're kind of stunned because you're finding out that you were more excited about this than your potential customers and no one's really coming in. You followed a star and you found yourself standing in front of a stable. I know so many people who have reached retirement age and I mean, they couldn't wait to get out of the grind of work. Like they worked for many years, hard, hard, and, and finally got that gold watch and retired. And then a few months later, a few years later, uh, they're struggling because they're, they're restless and they're unsettled. It didn't turn out the way that they thought it was going to turn out. They followed a star only to arrive at a stable. I think we can all relate to this story that we're reading about this morning. I love Charlie Brown. I love the, the series and the, the movies. And we just showed the Charlie Brown Christmas here a couple of weeks ago. And a lot of families came in and watched that together. And I especially love it when Lucy sets up her little stand and she gives uh, free, not free, it's five cents, but it's uh, psychiatric help. And Charlie Brown's always a sucker for this. He always shows up and asks for the advice. And this one uh, particular time, this is what she says to him. I just thought this was so harsh. She says, sometimes I feel like we're not communicating. You, Charlie Brown, are a foul ball in the line drive of life. You're often in the shadow of your own goalposts. You're a miscue. You're three putts on the 18th green. You're a 7-10 split in the 10th frame. You're a dropped rod and reel in the lake of life. You're a missed free throw. You're a shank nine iron, a called third strike, a bug on the windshield of life. Do you understand me? Am I making myself clear? Now, maybe uh, you can relate to that. You feel like Charlie Brown this morning. Life hasn't turned out the way that you thought. You think that you're a miscue, like everything has gone wrong. I want you to know that I'm glad you're here today because a beautiful part of the Christmas story and a beautiful part of the story of the wise men is what they do and how they respond when they come to the stable, what they do when they come to this house. It wasn't what they expected, but they do some uh, several things, and I think their actions can teach us how to be wise when we enter the stables of our own lives. And so let's take a look at this. And here's the first one. When wise men find a stable, what's the first thing they do? Um, They look for God. They look for God. See, uh, wise people never panic when they they experience a difficult situation. They they know that God's in the middle of everything, and and they're looking for him. God has got to be somewhere in this, and so they begin looking for him, and they know that that Jesus is a rabbi, he's a teacher, that it doesn't matter what they're going through, he can teach them something, and they're looking for God to teach them something, so they're always looking for God, even in the rough times, even in those stables of their lives. Now, I cringe so often when I hear people say, well, you know, my life is going so well right now, God must be blessing me, Uh, And I cringe because I go, well, what does that mean? Because the opposite of that is when things aren't going your way, that means God's cursing you or he's punishing you. And I think this is the biggest difference between mature Christians and immature Christians. If you're part of the NVF family, you know that we talk about spiritual maturity uh, by using backpackers. Like we talk about a day hiker and then a backpacker and then a guide and a Sherpa. And we talk about continuing to grow in our spiritual walk with Christ. And, And if you're part of that backpacker, you're still in that kind of immature stage. Many times people that are immature in their faith, they will only see God in the good things in life. But when you get to that, that Sherpa stage, 
See, these mature Christians, they can see God, not just in the good times, but also in the bad times, in the rough times. And sometimes they know that the best lessons are learned in the heat of the battle when things aren't going their way. Mature Christians see God not only in the pleasure and in the palaces, but they also see God in the barnyards and the stables of their life, and they're looking for him constantly. If you're following a star and you've come to a stable in your life and you're thinking, this is it? Like, this is all that there is? I want you to stop and I want you to start looking for God in that situation. Remember, wise people have the ability to be able to see God even in the stables of their lives. So they're looking for God, but when wise men find a stable, number two, they offer their very best. They offer their very best. And this isn't our natural inclination, is it? Like, just the opposite. When we come to a stable in our life, uh, instead of offering the gold and the frankincense and myrrh, we have this tendency to want to hold back, don't we? And in fact, when we come to these stables in our lives, we're tempted to refuse to give anything at all, much less our best. I mean, my marriage isn't going so good. My spouse isn't doing what he or she's supposed to be doing. And, And so instead of loving them the way I'm told to in Scripture, like, love them as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, yeah, I'm going to hold back. Job stinks. Boss is a jerk. Instead of working it like I'm told to in Scripture as though I'm working to the Lord and not into man, I think I'm just going to do only what I need to just to get by. Sound familiar? We need to give our very best. John Maxwell, when he was writing about this, one of the things that he talked about was what he called a mirror test. And he challenged everyone. He said, look, When you get up in the morning and you look in the mirror, you've got to ask the question, am I giving my very best to the situation that I'm in? Regardless of what it is, regardless of what the circumstances are, we're called in Scripture to give our very best. And we have to ask that question, am I giving my very best to the situation that I'm in? And I think many of us, if we were honest, we'd be embarrassed by the response if we were truthful. Because we're not. We're holding back. Because things didn't go as expected. I'm not getting out of this what I thought I was going to get out of it. This isn't what I wanted, so therefore I'm going to hold back. Can I just say the wise men, when they left home, they planned on giving gold and frankincense and myrrh. And I don't think that they had a second thought once they got to the door of that house. I don't think they they thought, hey, you know what, this isn't what we thought. Why don't we just hold back the gold, right? Let's just give them the frankincense. That's all they need. No, no. They gave their very best. You know why? Um, Because they were wise men. The difference between average and great people is a little phrase. And the phrase is, and then some. And then some. See, average people, they'll do only what they need to do to get by. But great, wise, uh, and godly people, they'll give and then some. They'll forgive, and then some. They'll love, and then some. See, uh, in every area of our life, we are marked by Jesus, by how we respond to these stables in our lives. If we go the extra mile, if we'll turn our cheek, right? I'm so glad Jesus didn't respond the way I do so often. I'm glad he didn't go, well, you didn't hold up your end of the bargain, so I'm just... No, he went and he gave everything and then some. And then he turns to those of us that call ourselves disciples and he says, I want you to do the same thing. See, wise people give the extra 
the extra. They, they give the and then some. They, they go the extra mile because they know it's for the glory of God. They're not doing it for themselves anyway. So wise people, they, they look for God. They give their very best. And then when wise men find a stable, they change their direction. They change their direction. After the wise men went and found Jesus, it says that they ended up going a whole different route. Another thing about this story that I find interesting is that the, the text actually says, and when the time came for them to return. And I'm, if you're like me, I mean, I always watch the movies and the Christmas story and everything, and, and I get the impression like they just showed up Jesus is being born, right? He's in the stable. This is what our nativity shows. And they just show up and they lay their gifts on, uh, on the ground and then they turn around and they leave. That's kind of the impression that we get. But, but the more I dig into this text, the more I'm like, you know what? I don't think that's the case at all. It says, and when their time came to... So I think if I was a wise man and I had been studying the prophecy for so long, hundreds of years had been passed down and in your lifetime, the star showed up and you got to go find the king, would you just show up, drop your presence, and leave? No. I think they stuck around a while. I, I think they hung out to be with this king for a while. But when they got ready to leave, God tells them, look, don't go back to Herod. Go a different route. See, when you and I, when we come face-to-face -face with Jesus, we can't continue down the same path, can we? Like, we can't help ourselves but to change direction. And... and is the direction going to be in the way that you wanted? Probably not. Is it going to look like what you thought it was going to look like? My guess is no. But can I just challenge you and say this? Um, with God, it's going to be a better direction. It'll be a better path. Uh, for those of you that are believers, I want you to think back to the first time you really came face to face with Jesus. When you, when you were touched by his grace and his mercy, what happened? Did you continue like you were the day before? No. Your life was changed. How did it change your life? In what ways did it, did it change you? This is that life transformation that we talk about so often. And Jesus is in the business of transforming lives. You can't help yourself but go a different direction. Think about all the people in the Bible who have, have arrived at stables in their lives and what it's done, how it's changed their life. Think about Esther and, and Joseph and Abraham and Daniel Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, David, Gideon, Moses, Isaac, Joseph, and Mary, and the wise men. In, in all these cases, it wasn't about their situation. It wasn't about the circumstances or the opportunity or, or privilege. It had nothing to do with any of that. Every bit of this came down to their response. God called, and they obeyed. God called, and they obeyed. My question is, God's calling you, are you obeying him? I think many of us, it's that first step. We talk about Jesus coming at Christmas because he wanted to redeem us. And yet some of you, you hold back. Like you've never taken that step to receive him, to give in and make him the Lord of your life. This season, this is the time you do it. Don't waste another day. Obey respond to his calling. Some of us, we're, we're holding back things. Like there's areas of our lives that, that we're holding back, we won't let God into, we, we hope nobody else finds out about it. and God's like, just give it to me. God's calling, are you obeying? If you feel like you're standing outside of a stable this morning, if, if there's things in your life, and um, man, the Christmas story is for you. Uh, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your job, 
whether it's just this year, right? 2020, I don't, I don't think there's anybody in here that can say it turned out the way they expected. You're standing outside of a stable. Or maybe you're like Charlie Brown, it's your whole life. You have a God who loves you. And he's just saying, come to me. Can I just challenge you? If you're standing outside of a stable this morning, let's be wise. Let's look for God. Let's give him our very best and let's obey and allow him to change the direction of our lives, enabling us to become the men and women that he's called us to be this Christmas season. Deal? Let me pray for us this morning. Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in this moment where we acknowledge just this season just kind of is exciting sometimes with all the lights and, and the ornaments and the music. And, and Lord, um, it's good for us every once in a while just to slow down. And to realize that you came in a a very humble setting. God, you just, you came into the world without all the fanfare, without the lights. But Lord, your mission was much bigger. And it was to create a, a way that we could be made right with you. That we could be in right standing with God. That we could be forgiven and redeemed and have eternal life. And Lord, this morning as we enter into a time of worship, I pray that that we would open up our minds and hearts, that we would be open to your calling. God, help us to be the people that you've called us to be. I pray that for those in the room that are really struggling with something in their lives, Lord, they feel like they're just standing outside of a, a stable. They thought it was gonna be something different. They thought it was gonna be great and it just hasn't turned out the way that they thought. Would you please just meet with them right where they're at? And God, I pray for those who have not received you that today would be the day that they would go ahead and receive you. They'd take that step and obey if we're holding back areas, that we would give those to you. But Lord, I pray that in these situations that we would look for you, that we would bring our very best. And God, would you please continue to lead and guide and direct us in the direction that you want us to go. We pray all this brings glory and honor to the name of Jesus Christ and all God's people said.